You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. in writing this epistle to the church at Ephesus speaks positively and certainly about the future because God is in control of it just as he has been control of the past. Listen gang, the future is certain because the all-powerful sovereign God determines it. So the first thing that I want to draw your attention concerning this God who stepped in is that God is sovereign. It's easy to feel anxious when you think about all the brokenness and chaos in the world today. It can feel so overwhelming and uncertain. But as you'll be reminded today, you don't need to live on the edge, wondering how you'll get through it all. Instead, you can rest confidently in the sovereignty of God. Pastor Mike explains that you don't have to be hopeless and scared because you walk with God, the one who holds everything together. You can let go of your fears and trust Him to be enough for all that's going on. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 as he begins his message, God Stepped In. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. All right, so once again, this message, God stepped in. In this message, we want to focus in on these two words at the beginning in verse 4. But God. And if you have a highlighter or a marker, or you just have a pen, I would suggest that you underline those first two words of verse 4 here in chapter 2. They are significant, because in and of themselves, think about it, in a sense, they contain the whole of the gospel message. They're telling us what God has done for mankind, how that he's loved us, how that he's quickened us, right? And uh, we've talked about that in our previous uh, studies. So, It speaks of how God has intervened in what was an utterly hopeless situation. Remember last time together. In fact, uh, the message last time together, I think the title was Out of the Graveyard, right? And that's exactly what God has done for us in Christ. He's delivered us out of the graveyard. Let's quickly go back just for a moment to set the stage In chapter 2, if you want to consider it as a whole, it's sort of like a picture in contrast. 
what we were before Christ and now what we've become in Christ. What we were before Christ is outlined for us in verses 1 through 3. And you he has made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So that's who we were at one time. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. That is, spiritually dead. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, popular opinion, the mores of our society, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of the disobedience. That is the devil. You see, he is the one who's beating the drum that people are marching to. And then in verse 3, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were driven by the desires and the lusts of our flesh. We didn't have any kind of a spiritual incl inclination or an aptitude for the things of God. We were just driven by the desires and the lusts of our flesh. And therefore, notice the concluding part of verse 3, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others, or everyone else. The only thing that we had to look forward to in our B.C. days was the judgment of God. So, folks, let me tell you something. This was a pretty deplorable situation. Wouldn't you agree? And uh, so, a desperate condition indeed. But then those two words that begin verse 4, but God. You see, God stepped in. The intervention of those words and what they represent makes all the difference in the world. Now, as I seek to expound on those two words, but God, I propose four questions. And each one of these questions becomes one of our points in this message. So let's get right to it. Let's go to the first question. And that question is, who is this God? Who is this God who stepped in? Well, let's begin by discussing the nature of God. What do we know about him? Well, there are several things. And under this heading, the first thing that I want to draw your attention to is that this God is a sovereign God. Now, just a couple of weeks ago, we closed out our series in the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, Solomon, over and over and over again through that book of the Bible, addresses the subject of the sovereignty of God. And uh, that particular subject and issue is prominent within the book of Ecclesiastes. So you know what I'm talking about when I use that word, the sovereignty of God. Basically, it means that God rules. That is, he rules his creation, he made it, is in control of it, and nothing occurs without his permission. Nothing ever rises to surprise him. What he has ordained from the beginning, you could be sure, shall come to pass. Now, granted, it, it doesn't always feel or seem that way, but yet God hasn't vacated the throne. He's still working behind the scenes. He's pushing all of the buttons, pulling all of the strings, as I've always suggested. He's orchestrating all of the details. Now, because of this fact, Paul, who is the writer of this book of Ephesians, because Paul knew this, that is, that God was sovereign, he could speak as he did in the first chapter. For there, he is not merely talking about what God has done in the past. He is also talking about the future, showing that God is at work to exalt his son Jesus Christ as head over all things. 
bringing everything into subjection unto him. For example, remember, in one of our previous studies, we, we addressed this subject. In chapter 1, for example, in verses 21 and 22, let's uh, go back to that for a moment. Uh, speaking of Jesus, in verse 21 of chapter 1, it says, Far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, and not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Again, speaking of the future. And he put, that is God the Father, he put all things under his feet. Whose feet? Christ's feet. And gave him to be head over all things that is to the church. And so Paul, in writing this epistle to the church at Ephesus, speaks positively and certainly about the future. Because God is in control of it, just as he has been control of the past. Listen, gang, the future is certain because the all-powerful, sovereign God determines it. So the first thing that I want to draw your attention concerning this God who stepped in is that God is sovereign. Now, there's another characteristic that I want to draw to your attention, and that is, under this heading, God is holy. He is a moral God. That is, he is not indifferent to issues of right and wrong, as some people would have you to believe. He's not indifferent to justice and injustice or righteousness and sin. On the contrary, it is because of his opposition to everything that is sinful that his great plan of salvation was devised and is being executed. And gang, let me tell you something. You can be sure sin will be punished. One day sin will be punished. And all things will be made right. When Jesus comes back with his church and establishes his millennial kingdom upon the earth, that righteous 1,000-year reign of Christ, when we come back with him as, as members of that party of his to establish that rule and reign upon the face of the earth. And so sin will be punished in that day, and righteousness will be exalted in his universe. And so God is holy. Now this characteristic about this God who stepped in naturally leads us to the next characteristic, and that is, under this heading, God is full of wrath against sin. So this point flows from God's holiness. Think about that. It is the outworkings of his holiness against all that is opposed to it. And this is why our condition is so frightful. You know, go back to verse 1 of chapter 2. We've already read it, but Paul describes us as being dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, this is bad, of course. And in that condition, we have, first of all, we have no capacity to please God. We can't even know him in that condition. Paul put it another way. He says, the natural man cannot discern the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them. Truly, it is a deplorable condition. But this is also why that condition that's described for us there in verse 1 is so frightful. And it is bad, of course, not having the capacity to be able to please God or to know God, but it would not be frightful apart from God's wrath against those transgressions. Now think about this. Apart from wrath, we might simply conclude that this is just the way things are. Therefore, we'll just concede ourselves 
to sin. You know, this is just the way I am, and God is just going to have to accept me exactly the way that I am. You know, someone would uh, put it this way. Listen, God is God. We are his people, whether he likes it or not. He is holy. We are not. And uh, so let God go his way, and we'll go ours. But guess what, folks? It doesn't work that way, does it? He doesn't just take his own path. Remember, this is his universe. He created our physical universe, and he is holy, and man's sin has introduced a foul blemish into that universe that God has created. And so he is opposed to sin, and let me tell you something, he is absolutely determined to stamp it out, and that's exactly what he's going to do one day. Make no mistake about that. And so, therefore, we should never make concessions to sin. We should never tolerate sin. You, and by the way, you don't have to. You know, that's the ministry and the operation of the Holy Spirit within the believer to help you to become everything that God wants you to become. You don't have to tolerate sin. You don't have to become defeated time and time again. You know, beat up by that reoccurring sin within your life. You know, one of the hallmarks of being a Christian is progression. We're going on to maturity, as the Bible puts it, right? Yeah, and, and no doubt it's a lifelong process in our Christian experience. It just doesn't happen, you know, overnight. Don't you wish it did? You know, you make your decision, you, you're at a, a crusade or an event like this, or, and at the conclusion of the message, the preacher gives an invitation, and you come forward and make a decision for Christ, and you're born again. And, and wouldn't it be great, at that very moment, you leave all of the excess baggage behind, and, uh, you know, you rip off your clothing and you get an S on your, you know, super Christian suit underneath your regular street clothes. And from that point going forward, you know, you're never tempted to sin any longer. You never get involved in sin any longer. But it doesn't work like that, does it? It's a part of a process. And it's the process of God's Holy Spirit. It's called regeneration. It's called sanctification. Those are just big words that refer to God getting a hold of us and changing us from the inside out and helping us to become more like his son, Jesus Christ. So we don't have to live defeated lives, you see. We don't have to make concessions with sin or our flesh. You know, well, you know, God's, he's just going to have to be satisfied with 80% of me, you know, kind of a thing. You've heard it said before, if Jesus isn't Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And it's true, right? So don't give up, man, you know, don't throw in the towel. And so anyway, this is that God who stepped in, as I had mentioned uh, before. So this is the God of the Bible and the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the God about whom Paul is writing, the God about of whom Paul is recommending. This is the God we need, though unfortunately man in their sinful state don't even know this. They don't even recognize this. Instead of coming to him to find new life and righteousness, we run from him to wickedness and spiritual death. But anyway, this is the God who stepped in. So that's the answer to that first question. Who is this God? Let's go on now to our second question. It's also our second point. Okay, so what did this God who stepped in do for us, or what has God done? Well, let's go back to those two opening words of verse 4, which serve as our, uh, the beginning of our text, but God. 
Now, I want you to just kind of trip on that just for a moment. Think about that, but God. And isn't it wonderful what that, those two words represent? Isn't it wonderful to discover that although we at one time ran from God, you know, go back to your BC days. Well, I don't really want to bring you back there. I guess I shouldn't do that. What a bummer, right? And, uh, but I mean, you know, I think about myself. I can only speak for myself. But I was always running from God. And uh, I was thinking about what David said in, the, in the, the shepherd psalm, in the 23rd psalm, where he said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And whenever I read that, I think of like two puppies. We were in Toronto yesterday with my uh, daughter, Jessie, and she has a puppy, uh, a Bernadoodle, which is one of the cutest dogs ever. But that puppy, man, you know, she's always like, you know, with her, with her snout, she's always like putting it in you. She always wants the attention. And she's always like nipping at your, your pant leg, and she's always looking for attention. She's always, you know, after you, after you, after you. And, uh, and that's who God is. And whenever I, you know, whenever I read the 23rd Psalm, I think of like two puppies dogs. Uh, Their names are goodness and mercy. They follow you wherever you go, even like puppies, you know, they never give you a break. They're always, and that's the God who's constantly pursuing after us, right? Like two puppies that never give up. We're always buying for our attention, right? Goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. That's the God that I know. That's the God that's being recommended to us here in this text of uh, Scripture. And uh, we're so thankful. So isn't it wonderful to discover that although we've run from God, preferring wickedness and death to righteousness and life, praise the Lord, although we've run from him, God has never run from us. In fact, just the opposite is true. He ran towards us. Instead, he has come to us and has done for us precisely what needed to be done. And what was that? Well, he saved us. He rescued us from that terrible condition that's described at the beginning of this chapter, verses 1 through 3. As I mentioned before, we were dead in our trespasses and sin, but God made us alive in Christ. Notice, go back to our text in verse 5. What does it say there? Even when we were dead in our trespasses, We've been made alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Oh, what a blessing. We were dead in sin, but God made us alive with Christ. Wow. We were dead to any godly influences. We were enslaved by our sins. We were objects of wrath. All of the things that I've already mentioned. But now we have emerged from our tomb at God's calling. Even as Jesus cried out, Lazarus, come forth. And he came forth from the grave, you know, wrapped in all of the embalming clothes. And, you know, one person says he stinketh. That's, you know, that was our condition in our B.C. days, right? And now life is itself new. The Bible tells us if any man or woman be in Christ, uh, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And life in itself is new. We have a new standard of righteous living to pursue. Since chains and shackles have been broken, and we are free to act righteously and serve God effectively in this world. Notice what it says in verse 6. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How did God accomplish that? How did he go about doing that? Well, simply, Jesus suffered and died in our place for our sins upon the cross. 
and thus we've been delivered from judgment. We are no longer under wrath. We are no longer children of wrath. Oh, if we only truly understood those two words, but God, it would save our souls. If we would recall them daily and live by them, they will transform our lives completely. Well, that brings us to our third question. And our third point, there's four in all. The third question, third point, now why did God do this? Why would God even waste his time on someone like me, the truth be told? Good question. And the only answer that I can come up with is love, and if you're taking notes, write this down, love, mercy, grace, and kindness. And guess what? In this text, you'll find all four of those words. It's true. Well, let's take them in that order. First of all, love. Why did God do this? We're trying to answer this question. Why did God intervene on your behalf? Well, first of all, because of his love. Notice in verse 4, it says, because of his great love for us. You know, C.S. Lewis, the great Christian writer, uh, described this love by saying, God who needs nothing, loves into existence, wholly superfluous creations or unnecessary or wasteful creations, and I'm only referring to myself here, I'm speaking about me, I'm not speaking concerning any of you, but I, I definitely would, would have fallen into that category. So anyway, God who needs nothing, loves into existence, holy superfluous creations, in order that he may love and perfect them. He creates the universe already foreseen, or should we say seen, there are no tenses in God, the buzzing cloud of flies about the cross, the flayed back pressed against the uneven stake, the nails driven through the mesial uh, nerves, the repeated torture of back and arms, as it is time after time, for breath's sake, hitched up, herein is love. This is the diagram of love himself, the inventor of all loves. That's who God is. God loves. But then also... In that, under that heading, why did God do this? Not only because of his great love, but also because of his mercy. Notice, go back to verse 4 of our text. It says, who is rich in mercy. Now, mercy is related to love. In fact, it flows out from it. But mercy has the sense of favor, doesn't it? Being shown to those who deserve the precise opposite. I mean, think about it. If nothing but a proper code of retribution and rewards followed our behavior or the way that we lived our lives, the truth be told, we would only experience God's wrath upon us, right? But that's not what mercy is, right? And so mercy has the sense of favor being shown to those who deserve the precise opposite. In my Father's house there's a place for me in my father's house where I long to be. Oh, my Thanks for tuning in to today's edition of In My Father's House as we study the book of Ephesians with Pastor Mike. It's no secret that people can sometimes be messy. So when you put all kinds of people into a church building, there's bound to be problems. 
For this reason, the Apostle Paul wrote to the people of Ephesus to remind them to remain unified in Jesus. When Jesus remains at the center of your relationships, the body of Christ is so much sweeter. Take Paul's writings to heart and seek to live in unity with those around you. If you'd like to explore more messages from Pastor Mike or to hear today's message again, just visit harvestnyc.org or find the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified every time we post a new edition of the show. If you're in Midtown Manhattan, we'd love for you to come visit us at Harvest Christian Fellowship. Find directions, service times, and more information on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. And if you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. With that, we've come to the end of our time with you today. We're so glad you were able to spend this past half hour with us. Join us again for more from this verse-by-verse study in the book of Ephesians next time, right here on In My Father's House. Trouble. I remember what you said. You returned.